0: hope in the psalms and so if you've got a copy of God's word with you open to psalm 121 uh, psalm 121 is where we're going to be camping out today and speaking of camping out in the psalms uh, Don and I love to go hiking we, we've even when we were before we were married we just hiked and backpacked and so last summer Uh, We went to Rocky Mountain National Park and we went to a hike that I don't think either of us had, had ever at least remembered going on before. And so as we started up this trail, it became very steep, a lot of switchbacks. And we were just kind of, we weren't really in the mood to really make the track. And it was getting kind of frustrating because we we hadn't been on it before. And every time we'd get over a bend, we'd be like, how much further is this? And so we basically uh, just kind of wimped out and said, well, let's just go back down. And, And so we went back down the trail. But it's really close to an area where there's another trail that we go on a lot, a lot there at Rocky Mountain National Park. And so we decided to go on this trail a few years ago. And so uh, it was early in the summer, and as we started to go on this trail, we really couldn't go much further because the water was so high, and neither one of us wanted to risk our lives by getting down into the, the roaring water. But as we were kind of figuring out what we were going to do, uh, you have to understand something. I don't have a very good sense of smell at all, uh, so don't, don't expect me to be around if there's a fire or whatever. I don't have a good sense of smell. But my wife, Dawn, she has a sniffer. She's got a very good sense of smell. And so she looked at me and says, Sean, there's, there's a musky smell. There's, there's an animal close by. I don't know what it is, but I just feel that we're being followed, that there's something in, 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 there in our area. And so that was a little freaky. And so hiking is really, really fun when the conditions are right, when you know where you're going, when there's not high water, when there's not wild animals coming in at you, when there's not switchbacks, all these different things. And so, hiking is a lot like the Christian life, when you think about it. In the Christian life, there's ups, there's downs, there's peaks, there's valleys. There's times where you're walking through a peaceful meadow and things are going well. There's other times when you're going through some dangerous switchbacks. Other times when the water's high and you feel like you're drowning. Other times where the, the devil comes in like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, why do I bring up hiking in the wilderness? Well, it's very interesting because Psalm 121 describes what I think is someone who's hiking. They're they're on a trek. They're on a journey to Jerusalem. And they're surrounded by hills. Now, back in those days, there were no well-paved roads, just basically well-trodden paths, And so you had to travel through hills and valleys, and sometimes there were some dangers. And so uh, three times a year, at these annual feasts in Jerusalem, travelers from all over Israel would make the hike to Jerusalem for those festivals. And so this psalm, Psalm 121, is part of a larger group of psalms called the Songs of Ascent, Ascent, Going Up. So... Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are psalms of ascent. Now, why are they called that? Well, what most scholars believe is that as these travelers are hiking in and they're getting close to Jerusalem, and we know Jerusalem's up on a hill, and as they see the city up on a hill, as they're climbing up towards Jerusalem, they sing or they chant or they recite these psalms as they're going up to the holy city. And so these psalms are called songs of ascent as they're going up the hill to Jerusalem. So let's read together Psalm 121. And it says there a song of ascent. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. More. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Now, here's the main point of this psalm. Here's the big idea. Okay, in a small sentence Our Creator protects us through times of trouble. Our Creator protects us through times of trouble. Now, we've spent this is our third week now in these psalms. And hopefully by now you realize that a lot of these psalms deal with being in trouble, being in times of distress, going through difficult times of tribulation, which tells us that we're never promised an easy life. We're never promised a bed of roses. where We're never going to have trials. We're never going to have tribulations. And as a matter of fact, right now we're going through something that we've never gone through before as a nation. This COVID-19 pandemic is like nothing we've ever gone through in our lives. It's affecting every aspect of who we are. But I want to remind you of the words of Jesus in John 16, Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, you will have tribulation. Not you may or you might, but you will. But he's overcome the world. Acts 14, 22, through many, many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So we're going through a time of tribulation right now with this COVID-19 pandemic. It's a time of trouble. It's a trying time. But I want you to notice the key word that shows up in this psalm. You should have heard it repeated over and over again. Six times it shows up in this short psalm of eight verses. And it's the word keep or keeper, shamar in the Hebrew language. It means to preserve, to keep, to watch closely, almost like a bodyguard. The theological word book of the Old Testament defines it as to exercise great care over diligently. It's this whole image of, of God almost being like a bodyguard to you. Now think about bodyguards for a moment. The celebrities who go places with bodyguards, and the bodyguards are always looking around to make sure that the, the coast is clear, and that they can enter a restaurant, restroom without the paparazzi and all this kind of stuff. Um, bodyguards. But I want you to think about the president's secret service agents. There's a small number of secret service agents that are assigned to the Presidential Protection Division. And if you go and, and read about this, it's very interesting. The president, when he's out in public, cannot even go to the restroom by himself without a Secret Service agent there with a gun in case somebody were to come attack him in the actual restroom. When the president travels in a motorcade, uh, they carry bags of the president's blood in case he's shot and they have to do a blood transfusion right there on the spot. And so secret service agents are, are, are awesome. They're amazing the way that they protect the president. But there's only human, human limitations to what they can do. They can only do so much. But I like to think about God as the greatest bodyguard, God as the greatest secret service agent ever. So the key word here is God is our protector. God is our keeper. He will watch closely over us. He will keep us. Now, This psalm is composed of four stanzas of two lines each. And and that's really, if you have an ESV in front of you, that's the way they set it out. That's usually the way psalms work. A a lot of psalms have two lines that work together as a stanza, and they kind of communicate the same thought. So there's there's four stanzas, two lines each, so you've got eight verses. And so let's look at the four main parts of this psalm together. So here's the first. We find this in verses 1 and 2. Here's the first. My security, my security should not come in idolatry, but in my Creator. My security should not come in idolatry, but in my Creator. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Now, this is a little mysterious, these hills. Is he looking to the hills for help, like some army's going to come down and help him? Or are the hills a source of danger? or are, are bandits hiding up there, and he's kind of scared when he looks up in the hills? These animals ready to pounce down upon him? What do the hills represent? I want you to think about something. Maybe you've never thought about this before. In the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, the pagan Canaanite nations the Canaanites, the Hittites, all the Ites, all those pagan nations, they would do their vile, wicked practices on the top of hills. They were called the high places. Now, they believed that since the earth was flat... They needed to get to a high place so they could get the attention of their gods and goddesses. The the higher they were up on a hill, the more attention they could get from the god or goddess to look down upon them. And so they built these shrines, they built these altars on these high places, on these high hills. Now what did they do on these high hills? All types of pagan idolatry, prostitution. Even child sacrifice, burning children in fires, necromancy, sorcery, all manners of evil on these high places that were associated with idolatry, pagan idolatry. Let me give you an example. In First Kings chapter 14, 23 through 24, "...for they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree." And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Israel's copying the nations around them by doing these vile practices on these high places. So the hills, I believe here, represents idolatry. So as a believer in Christ, and you live in a sinful world, There's always going to be a temptation to look to something else besides Jesus to give you security, to give you meaning, to give you purpose, to give you happiness or satisfaction. And so your only source of joy, of satisfaction, of protection, of security, should only come in Christ alone. Now notice that this psalm, focuses upon God, the Lord, as our creator. Look, my help, verse 2, first the question, from where does my help come? My help doesn't come from the hills. My help comes from the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He's the creator, the creator of all things, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 124, 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven in earth. Now just stop and think about, just stop and think about the glorious majesty of God as our creator, the creator of all things. I mean, I can't even conceive of God speaking the universe into existence by the power of his word. I mean, God as creator should blow our minds when you think about all the galaxies and all the intricacies of things in space down to things in the ocean and even, um, you know, micro- microbiology and all the, the the things that we can Observe here on earth that God created all things. He's sovereign, He's faithful, He's unchanging, He's our creator. And so if God is all these things, and He is, if God's sovereign, if God's good, if God's powerful, if God's loving, if God is gracious, if God is awesome, then here's the question. Why would you look to a hill or a God substitute for God? satisfaction. So let me ask you a question, a personal question today. What hills, what high places, what God substitutes, what idols are you looking to to give you that security? I lift my eyes to the hills. What are your eyes being lifted to today? It's not Jesus. Now, these could be good things or these can be bad things, but these are things that become God substitutes. You look to them to give you satisfaction. Let me just give you a few to think about. Think about social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, except for maybe Twitter. <laughs> but, but I wonder how much time we spend on these things. And we try to get value in them. We try to get satisfaction. We try to see how many likes we can get or how many friends we can, we can have and how many followers we can get. You can become so consumed with social media that it drives your life. It becomes a God substitute for you. You go to social media to give you meaning and purpose and all the things that only God's supposed to give you. Okay, what about streaming services? I mean, during this COVID panic, COVID nineteen panic, uh, you uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Disney Plus, these things are making a killing because people are just sitting at home watching streaming videos. You're watching endless hours of shows and movies. You're you're just filling your minds with this, these streaming services. Okay, and they may not be bad in and of themselves, but you can find security in alcohol. In drugs, in pornography, in sexual immorality, in materialism. You can look at all these things that take the place of God in your heart. So, the personal question for you today is what's your hill that you're looking to for help that's not God? What are you lifting your eyes to? What's a high place out there that's become a God substitute? It's taken the place in your life that only God should take which means you're being consumed by it. You're obsessing over it. You're spending inordinate amount of time engaged in it. It's become a substitute for what only God can give you. And it may be different for for everybody. What's that high place? What's that hill that you're looking at? And especially during this COVID-19 pandemic, I'm afraid that there's a lot of hills people are looking to to get that help but their eyes aren't going to the Lord as creator. It's interesting, that the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? Well, his, his eyes actually go beyond the hills up to the heavens. It he goes up to God as creator, the creator of all things. So that's the first thing we see. Our security should not come in idolatry, but in our creator, in God alone. Okay, let's look at the second. This is in verses 3 and 4. For lack of a better term, this is the way I've put it. God never falls asleep at the wheel. God never falls asleep at the wheel. We see this in verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. God will not let you stumble. Now, your foot can be moved. This is, a, this is an idea of stumbling or falling as you're, as you're on this hike. And we can stumble in many ways. You, you can get weak. You can stumble from fear. You can stumble from sin. You're prone to wander this pilgrim pathway. I mean, it's hard. The Christian life's hard. There's a lot of um, switchbacks. There's a lot of difficulty. And, and you can get tired. You can get fatigued. You can, you can stumble. But it says here that God sustains you. God will not let your foot be moved. God's going to guide you. God's going to protect you. God's going to keep you. Why? Because he who keeps you, he who guards you, he protects you. Remember, there's that word keep again. He does not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Our God does not sleep. Now, you may not remember this kind of funny story in the Old Testament, but do you remember that famous showdown in 1 Kings were the prophets of Baal. Baal is a pagan god of the Canaanites. And these prophets of Baal were coming against Elijah. And Elijah was the man of God. And this was on Mount Carmel. And so Elijah built this huge altar with bulls and wood. And um, there was going to be a showdown to see if the God of Israel, the creator, is going to rain down fire or if Baal, the, the pagan god, would rain down fire. And Elijah even built this trough around it with water. And so the pagan gods get to go first, the pagan prophets. And so they're dancing around, and they're cutting themselves, they're, they're yelling and screaming and they're getting in a frenzy trying to coax their false god, Baal, to rain fire down upon the altar. And nothing happens. It's like crickets. And Elijah does something interesting. In 1 Kings 18.27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He mocked them. He says, cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, and he must be awakened. (laughs) Elijah's poking fun at him. Your God must be either in the restroom or he's sleeping. He's nowhere to be found. You've got to go wake him up. Your God's sleeping. Your God's asleep at the wheel. Where is your God? He's a powerless God. He's a useless God. Our God never sleeps or slumbers. Back in 2013, a man named William Rockefeller made the news When a train barreling down the tracks in the Bronx at 82 miles an hour killed four passengers and injured 75, why did this train crash? William Rockefeller fell asleep on the job and lost control of the train. Some of the world's worst disasters can be traced back to someone who fell asleep on the job. The nuclear explosion at Chernobyl in the Ukraine was attributed to operators working 13 hours straight who fell asleep on the job. That nuclear meltdown. The Three Mile Island incident in Pennsylvania in 1979 was also attributed to workers falling asleep on the job. Some reports have linked the Space Shuttle, um, the space shuttle Challenger explosion in 1986 to NASA officials who came to work sleep-deprived that and then the Exxon Valdez oil spill in 1989 was also attributed to the third mate falling asleep at the wheel aren't you thankful that God doesn't fall asleep at the wheel he's unchanging he never sleeps he never slumbers he protects us he's an alert God I mean, he, he's an alert God. He's like that bodyguard that's scanning around, that, that secret service agent. He's, he's looking for danger. He's going to protect you. He's going to keep you. He has absolute exhaustive knowledge of all things past, present, future. Nothing surprises God. Nothing catches God off guard. God absolutely knows all things, past, present, future, millions of contingencies, millions of free choices, billions of different things out there. God knows everything. He's in control of all things. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's watching over you personally. He won't let your feet slip. He's a sovereign God. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God never sleeps or slumbers, and that should give you great confidence in your Creator to keep your foot from stumbling. So that's the the second thing we see. Now let's look at the third. This is in verses 5 and 6, the third stanza. So third, God is your source of spiritual shade. God is your source of spiritual shade. Okay, let's look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. There's that key word again. The Lord is your keeper, your protector, your bodyguard. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now, the right hand is a, is a symbol of protection. It's a symbol of deliverance. It's, it's really a symbol of God's power when you go back to the Exodus. Remember all those, those months, almost two years we spent in Exodus? It always talked about the hand of the Lord um, in Exodus 15.6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. We're protected by the the powerful right hand of God who's a source of, of shade for us. Psalm 1835, you've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. It's this idea that God is protecting us, God's our deliverer, God's providing a shade against The scorching sun, verse six: the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now think about going out in the in the sun. It's it's kind of been hot the past couple of days. Um, I mean, no, it's the beginning of May, but man, it seems like it's been a little warm. But think about like in the middle of July, when you're out there in the sun, no shade, you can get sunstroke, you can get sunburn. You need to be under shade. And so the image here is God's like a source of spiritual protection for you from the things that are going to come against you. Now, the moon, like the moon at night. The moon's probably here a metaphor for things that you're scared of at nighttime. Uh, At nighttime, there's more fear, there's more crime. Uh, Sometimes you can be out in the cold at night. And and so no matter what time of day, whether day or night, God is your protector. He's your spiritual protector. Source of shade. It's interesting how the Old Testament often talks about God in terms of like a big eagle, an eagle that, that wraps us in his wings and protects us. Psalm 36:7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And the shadow and the shade and the spiritual shade that God provides in his wings. Now obviously God doesn't have wings. It's a metaphor to make God look like a protective eagle. Psalm fifty seven one be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Okay, so not only is God our creator, not only is God keeping a watchful eye upon us, and he never sleeps and he never slumbers. But here God is a source of shade. It's like this powerful tree that's shading you or a powerful eagle that's enfolding you in his wings. And again, this should give you a great source of confidence, a great source of joy, a great source of security. You're not looking to the hills. You're not looking to idolatry. You're not looking to God's substitutes to protect you. You're looking to to your creator, the maker of heaven and earth. All right, how does the psalm end? We get to the fourth stanza, verses 7 and 8, and it's kind of a catch-all. So here it is. God protects us in all ways. Or God protects us always. God protects us in all ways, and God protects us always. Kind of a play on words. Okay, look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you. There's that key word again. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Now, does this mean that you're never going to go through trials? Does this mean you're never going to go through trouble? Does this mean you're never going to have a bad experience the devil won't ever, ever tempt you? No, again, like we talked about the past few weeks, God never promises to take us out of the hard times, but he does promise to protect us through those. And ultimately, I think this is really talking about your salvation. He'll protect you from losing your salvation, all evil. And then notice... He will keep your life. The second half of verse 7. He will keep your life. He will protect your life. God is sovereign over your life, whether you like that or not. God determined when you were born. God's going to determine when you die. And God's going to take care of you every step in in between. He's sovereign over your life. Job says this. Job 14, verse 5. Since, talking about humans here, talking about people, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. God determines your days. God is sovereign over your life. You're not in charge of your life. God is. Psalm 39, 4 through 5. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Okay, God is sovereign over our life. He keeps your life. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This should blow your minds. God's the creator of all things. God knows all things. If a insignificant sparrow out in the middle of nowhere falls dead off a tree, God knows that. And that sparrow is very valuable to God because it's part of his creation. But as valuable and as incidental as that sparrow is, God knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. Now, for some, that's easier for God to count than others. Just saying. But the point is, God is intimately in charge of your life. You are precious to him. He will protect you. And then notice what it says there in verse 8. The Lord will keep. There's the last time that word's used. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. You're going out and you're coming in. Sometimes that may be what your house looks like. People are going out, they're coming in. It's a revolving door. It's kind of this idea of, of, of uh, just the daily routine of life. You go out to work, you come back in. You go out to school, you come back in. You go do your thing. Your, your comings and your goings. The, the things that you, the plans that you make, the way you live your life. Proverbs sixteen nine: The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord is going to establish your steps. So God protects you from evil. He protects your life. He keeps your going out and your coming in. But how's the psalm in? From this time forth, and forevermore. Ultimately, God is your keeper, your protector, your sustainer for eternity, forever. Psalm seventy three twenty six. My flesh and my heart. May fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So this whole psalm is about how God protects us. Our Creator protects us. And He protects us now. He doesn't let your foot fall. And then ultimately, He's going to protect you all the way through to the very end in salvation. So really what this psalm is about... It's about eternal security, and it's about present security. You can have security in the present because God's your keeper right now, but you can have security that God's going to get you to the end, and you will be eternally secure. So let's think about what this psalm was talked about. The Lord is our keeper. He's our protector. He's our creator. He's our He's our bodyguard. He's our watchful father. He never sleeps or slumbers. He doesn't fall asleep at the wheel. He's our strong um, ar- right arm of power. He's a source of spiritual shade. Um, he's a sovereign creator of heavens and earth. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So if there's a parallel passage in the New Testament to Psalm 121 in the Old Testament, I think it's Romans 8, 35-39. You know this. Listen to the words of Paul. nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There in verse 38, Paul says, I'm sure of these these things. I am confident. And then he lists some pairings of five here. Things that we think could possibly separate us from God. Okay? Okay. Death and life. Will death and life separate us from God? No. If we're in Christ, if we're saved, death and life. Angels and rulers. Will demonic forces come? and snatch us out of God's hands. Yes, Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yes, we wrestle with flesh and blood, but they can't separate us from the love of God. All right, what about the present or the future? Okay, whatever you're going through right now in the present, and it's pretty bad with this COVID-19 issue, or the future, that can't separate you. Height or depth. Neither height nor depth. We're going to talk about this next week, so I'm not going to give it away. When we look at Psalm 139, and then Paul rounds it out and says, nothing in all creation, not even ourselves, will be able to separate us from the love of God. So, With God being our sovereign creator and keeper, it really means that we are eternally secure in the grip of our great Savior. John 6, 37-39, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose Nothing. Of all that he's given, me, but raise it up on the last day. The Father has sovereignly given you to Jesus before the foundation of the world in predestination. At a point in time, you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And here Jesus says, those that come to him, he will never, ever cast out. So if you've come to faith in Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, if you've trusted him for salvation, you have the rock solid promise from the voice of Christ himself to say he will never cast you out. In John 10, 27 through 30, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus gives us eternal life, and he says they will never perish. That's a double negative in the Greek language, which means they will never, no, not ever perish. Why? Because he's got us in the grip of his hand. Not only are we in the grip of the Savior's hand, Jesus, but he says we're also in the grip of the Father's hand. So you're, in essence, in a double grip. You're in the grip of Jesus, and you're in the grip of the Father. And nobody can come pry open the, the fingers of Jesus or pry open the fingers of the Father and snatch you out of that protection. You're under the shadow of the wings of your Creator. There's some other glorious verses in the New Testament that talk about how God is faithful to keep you to the end. Remember, six times in this Psalm, God is your keeper, He will keep, He will protect. And then the very last thing it says there, from this time forth and forevermore, He will eternally keep you. First Corinthians 1 7 through 9. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He will sustain you to the end. He's faithful to do that. Christ will sustain you to the end. If you're truly His, He will make sure you get to the finish line. You will receive the reward in heaven. You will be eternally secure. He will sustain you to the end. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will. God will bring it to completion. You don't bring it to completion because you can't. We're too feeble and sinful and weak to bring our salvation to completion. But Jesus will do it because what he started, he will finish. First Thessalonians 5, 23-24. through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What will he surely do? What's he faithful to do? To sanctify you, to keep you until Christ comes back ready on that day. We've been going through for the past almost 32 days in 1 Peter. And back at the beginning of 1 Peter, we've been doing this in our, in, our, in our daily devotions that I've been sending out to you on Facebook and through email. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Okay, what type of inheritance? That's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God's got your inheritance on reserve for you in heaven waiting for you, and he's going to make sure you get it. And then Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. He's able to keep you from stumbling. From stumbling to the point where you would somehow lose your salvation or fall out of God's love. It's not going to happen. He's going to keep you to the very end. I love Charles Spurgeon. One of my favorite preachers of old, and let me give you one of my favorite quotes by him. This is from Spurgeon. If it ever should come to pass that the sheep of Christ might fall away, my fickle, feeble soul, alas, would fall a thousand times a dead. Now let me unpack that for you. If you could lose your salvation, you would. A thousand times a day. If it was up to you to keep yourself saved, you would fall a thousand times a day in trying to keep yourself saved. But that's not the way God has set it up. God doesn't expect you to keep yourself saved. God's your keeper. God's got you in his grip. God will sustain you through the end. God has that inheritance waiting for you. God and God alone is the one who sustains, holds, works in you to keep you saved so that you won't stumble. If you could lose your salvation, you would. But God set it up to where you won't lose your salvation because He will keep you secure to the end. So, what's your response to this glorious God who's your Creator? How does He start it out? In verse 1, from where does my help come? Am I going to find my help in idols? Am I going to find my help in God's substitutes? Or am I going to lift my eyes up to my creator? And am I going to find joy? Am I going to find satisfaction? Am I going to find comfort and security and joy and peace and grace? and All the spiritual blessings that God has to offer. Am I going to find those in Christ alone? Would you rest confidently and securely in a sovereign God who created you, who chose you, who loves you, who is keeping you, and will keep you to the end to make sure you get your reward in heaven? Would we all bow in humble adoration? to our creator. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's bow our heads now and go to our maker, our creator, and let's find security in him alone. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so tempted to find our security in the hills in the high places, in idolatry, in God's substitutes. Our hearts are so prone to wander to those things and to latch on to those and to obsess over those things. And those things may not even be bad. Some of them are are evil and sinful, some of them are not. But when they become a substitute for you, they they consume us and they become idols. We want our, our help, we want our security, we want our joy, we want our satisfaction to be in you alone. You're our creator. You're our sustainer. You're the one that never sleeps or slumbers. You're our spiritual bodyguard. You're our shade. You're the keeper of our lives, our goings out and our coming in. And ultimately, you are our keeper eternally. And so, Lord, I thank you for keeping us eternally secure to the end. If we could lose our salvation, we would lose it every day. But thank you that you hold us fast. Jesus, I thank you that you hold us in your grip. And nothing can snatch us out of your hand. We are so thankful that you're a strong God. We need a strong God during times like this. We don't want a wimpy God. Lord, I am so concerned that the way people portray you out there, that you're a God that doesn't know the future, or you're a God that's not on your throne, you're a God that's up there wringing your hands, wondering what's going on. No, Father, we serve a God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know all things. You've ordained all things. You're sovereign over all things. We trust in you. We're not going to listen to the world. We're not going to lift our eyes to the hills. We are going to find our satisfaction in you alone because you are God. You are our creator, and we submit to you. Would we be a people that trust in our creator? You are God. We are not. We bow before you, King Jesus. May our hearts burn with passion For your glory. And when we get our help only from you. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. And for your glory. Amen and amen.